One, a king leaves his monarchy. If a king leaves, everyone's going to need to know why. Right? There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing in history where, or in a nation where a king departs from his throne. A president resigns. Except that it's going to be taught. It's going to be said all the time. So that's why spiritual matters occur to kings all the time. Not because of they have achieved a special rank, but because whatever happens to a king trickles down. Here you have this king going to destroy an entire city, then stopping. So people are going to talk. Like, what is this incident? And why did it happen? Etc. So he was happy about this. He became their disciple. He said, I'm not going to fight Medina anymore. I'm not going to fight Yathrib. And I'm going to follow them. And so he became a Jew. Okay. Okay. They were pagans and polytheists that used to worship idols. So on the way back from Medina, he stops by Mecca, which is on the way to Yemen. He gets there, and remember, this is now very early. Right? Before Abdul Muttalib, before everything else. He says, there is a place, you have an army. There's a place filled with pearls and jewels and other things. Was Zabarjad and all these other things, these gems, okay, and gold and silver. You, you you have an army. You can go take it all, right? He says, "Tell me where it is." He says, "It's a sacred building in Mecca, a temple in Mecca that you that they people pray there, and you could take it." وَإِنَّمَا أَرَادَ الْهُذَيْلِيُونَ هَلَاكَهُ بِذَلِكَ okay. لِمَا عَرَفُوا مِنْ هَلَاكِ مَنْ أَرَادَهُ مِنَ الْمُلُوكِ وَبَغَى عِنْدَهُ So he says here that those people, the Hudayl, who advised him, go to this place in Mecca, take all these jewels. What they were doing, in fact, was they wanted him dead. Because they knew that anybody who goes there is going to be destroyed. Like that, that, that house is a sacred a space that nobody can aggress upon. So they're basically telling him to aggress upon it so that he can be destroyed. Okay. So he says, so he decided he's going to go there. He's going to fight there. He's going to take over Mecca and take all this wealth and all these jewels. But first, let me ask my two sheikhs. Now that he's a Jew, he calls the two shiuch. Of course, he's not going to be a Jew, but he's following them in the religion. Jew, Judaism is by lineage. So, فَقَالَ لَهُ مَا أَرَادَ الْقَوْمُ إِلَّا هَلَاكَ هَلَاكَ جُنْدُكَ Or هَلَاكَ جُنْدِكَ So is your people, those people who advise you to do this, they're not advising you for your benefit. They want you dead. They wanted you to be destroyed. So they're advising you to go pick a fight with the Kaaba because they know something bad's going to happen to you. 
Even before Abdul Muttalib, this concept was around that this is a sacred space that's protected. We do not know a single temple on the earth, a house on the earth, that Allah Himself took for Himself, in other words, to be worshipped at, uh, at, except this one. As for the temple of the Bani Israel, they built it, right? But on the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nothing other than this one. And the Jews used to visit it. If you do what they tell you to do, you and everyone with you will be destroyed. So what do you advise me to do if I go there? Do what your people do. Tatuf. You make tawaf and honor the play, honor the house and be generous there. And shave your head. And be humble as long as you're there until you leave. So what do the what is the remnants of Prophet Ibrahim's ibadah? Is the tawaf and the shaving of the head. The sa'i developed, okay, yet the Prophet is the one who made this an obligation. And a pillar of Hajj. There are four pillars of Hajj: Ihram, Tawaf, Sa'i, Wal Wakuf Bi'arafa, Ba'd al Maghrib. The little bit after Maghrib, that's the, oblig- the the pillar of Hajj. If you miss any one of these four, your Hajj is in, you didn't make Hajj. The staying at Arafah before Maghrib is an obligation, not a pillar. It can be obligations of Hajj, the eight obligations of Hajj can be. Uh, compensated Okay Alright so he does this Qala mm. He says So they say We don't see you doing this He says to them I don't see you two doing this Why don't you do it Okay Qala The two rabbis said Ama wallahi innahu labaytu abina Ibrahim Wa innahu lakuma it is the house of our forefather Abraham. However, its people, they obstruct us from going there because they put all of these idols there. And they slaughter to these idols and there's blood everywhere. There's najas everywhere And these are people of shirk Basically they defiled it with paganism Imagine today Hindus took over a mosque Right There's going to be all sorts of Things that would offend uh, Monotheists from going there And worshipping there Because the Arabs were no different Arabs and Indians were on the same path They started off with some monotheism The Brahmins declare monotheism If you look deep into the Brahmin way they declare that they're monotheists and all these just symbolic gods and blah, 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 right? Well, same thing with the Arabs. They already know that there is Tawheed and there's one God and one creator, but they eventually then uh, establish these symbolic or medi- uh, mediums between them and God. So he recognized that they are honest and their nasiha is good. فَقَرَّبَ النَّفَرَ مِنْ هُذَيْلِ فَقَطْعَ أَيْدِيَهُمْ وَأَرْجُلَهُمْ 
So he went back to the people of Hudayl. I said, oh, by the way, you're the ones who wanted me to do this. Yeah, did you do it? Are you going to do it? Yes, come first. Cut their hands off, cut their feet off, and uh, punish them severely because he realized that they're just trying to trick him. It's almost like telling somebody, why don't you go throw a rock at that window okay? and, and, and go in the window and steal. You know that there's like a gang in there, right? That it's gonna end, you're going to end up dead. That's exactly what they did to him. So he punished them. Then he went until he arrived at Mecca. He made tawaf. He slaughtered for the sake of Allah. He halqarasahu. All right. He he shaved his head. Staying in the house, feeding the people, being righteous, being a righteous monotheist. That's what they had at the time. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, and he would give them from the honey that he had. Okay. He then has a dream. He saw a dream. You should cover the house with cloth. And that is the first time that the Kaaba is covered with cloth. And that's what we call the Kiswa. Al-Yaksu is to cover. Al-Kiswa is the cover itself. فَكَسَاهُ Okay. He put a very thick cloth over the Kaaba. ثُمَّ أُرِيَ أَنْ يَكْسُوهُ أَحْسَنَ مِنْ Then he saw a dream, put something better than some thick woolen cloth like this. فَكَسَاهُ الْمَلَاءُ وَالْوَصَائِلُ He used then... Um, the thin Yemeni striped cloths, okay? Instead, the expensive and valuable cloth. Okay, so he was the first one, Taban. Abi Karb is the first one to do Kiswa for the Kaaba. Okay. So, Taban Tubba, same person. He is the first one to put a garment over the Kaaba. He had allies up north of Mecca. Okay? And those are the Jurhum. The Jurhum tribe is north of Mecca. They used to be. Okay? They used to be the rulers of Mecca. But they were kicked out by Quraysh. And Jurhum, who else knows where Jurhum arrives in the Sirah? Omar, you know? Where else is Jurhum in the Sirah? The Prophet ﷺ is half Jurhum. His mother's from Jurhum. The tribe of north of Mecca, after the slaughter of, his, of Abdullah was stopped, then they went there, got arbitration. And the arbitrator said, slaughter 100 camels. Or the arbitration ended up that he's going to slaughter 100 camels. And Abdul Muttalib goes slaughters 100 camels. And everyone eats. And this is a big effort. Slaughter 100 camels. Skinning 100 camels. Giving all this away for free. Skins of 100 camels. Bones were used for arrows, for sticks, for uh, hammers, for tools. Every piece of the animal is used. Okay? And the meat overflowed the people of Mecca that they had to go to the hills. And call to the nomads. Come and eat. And they would say, why are we eating? This is the slaughter of Abdul Muttalib to save his son Abdullah. 
So the name of Abdullah and Abdul Muttalib rang in every household at that time in Mecca and surrounding. After it was all done, Abdul Muttalib took his son and he said, let's go and do something for ourselves now. We'll get married. We have some friends in Jurhum and we'll go. So he was going for Abdullah to get married. Now we go to marry you off. He gets there and he finds the suitable most suitable person for Abdullah is Amina, of course, mother of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Okay, and uh, the the father then says, "Well, we also have her older sister. Husband, something happened, whatever. She's available for marriage for you, for Abdul Muttalib himself. So it ends up being Abdullah and Abdul Muttalib both getting married, and the product of Abdul Muttalib and this Jurhumi woman." Is Hamza, and the product of Abdullah and um, and of course is the Prophet That's how Hamza and the Prophet are so close because they're related from the dads and the moms. They're they're cousins by the moms and uncle nephew by the dads, right? And that's why they were so close. Okay, and that's why immediately when um, uh, Hamza was hunting one day and came back. And he's heard the women from the the family of Abdul Muttalib complaining and crying. And they said, what happened? They said, you should have seen how Abu Jahl insulted your, your, your cousin. Right. So he went to Abu Jahl right away without thinking. He had a camel bone in his hand and he smashed it over his head and he caused his head to bleed. And he said, you insult him and I'm on his religion. And that was the first tide that changed in the seerah of the Prophet And when Hamza entered Islam. And Hamza at that time had not examined or heard a verse of Qur'an. Nor examined it, nor anything, except he knows who the Prophet is. Who know, he knows who his cousin and his nephew are, is. And he just took him, it took him, like the, 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 the family bond uh, got sort of uh, inspired in him. And he just followed him. Right, no investigation. He just, he knows who he is. That's the investigation. But he didn't investigate the message. Didn't think about it. When it so entering entrance into Islam can be in many different ways, including intimidation. Not that it's halal, but uh, for example, uh, in in cases of war, it is. For example, uh, Abu Sufyan entered Islam purely through intimidation of the new power. I can't resist this new power, so I just have to submit. So the Prophet Sallallahu knew that the shahada of uh, Abu Sufyan was with his tongue only. So the next day, the Prophet knew that his ego needs to be broken a bit more. So he said to uh, Al-Abbas, sit with Abu Sufyan at the top of a hill at the most narrow point, entry point of Mecca. Then he commanded all the soldiers, the whole army, Okay. To make their lines thin. Make their lines really like two or three people only. Right? And erect everyone erect a banner for your tribe. And then to march. And so the march was like forever. Because you thinned out the army instead of all marching in at once. You thinned them out and they were just marching. Tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe. Until Abu Sufyan was like, Khalas, I'm drained. I give up. Completely gave up. Right? Because he realized how massive an army 
the Prophet Sallallahu had um, had garnered. So that's when he again took his shahada again after that, and then it was from his heart. And he fought for the for Islam and lost both of his eyes. Question here saying, I've missed if you said it, but were the parents of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Hanifs? The answer is yes. No parent of, a, of the Prophet Sallallahu was a mushrik. Even Prophet Ibrahim, his father mentioned in the Quran is not his father, it's his, it's his uncle. And the Quran says, Ab, it does not say Walid. And the Ab refers to the uncle, and it refers to the father, and it refers to the grandfather, and it refers to any man who raised you. Call him up. Okay. So let's continue. وَأَمَرَهُمْ بِتَطْهِيرِهِ So he had, he commanded the jurhum to always upkeep the kiswa and the cleanliness of the Kaaba وَأَلَّا يَقْرَبُوهُ دَمًا وَلَا مَيْتَةً وَلَا مِئَالَةً That there should be no blood no blood of a human, no any kind of blood, no slaughtering, none of that. Near the Kaaba because this blood is najis. And he's the one who established for it a door with a key. For that it didn't have that. What are we talking about for those who are just coming? We're talking about the kings before, way before the Prophet ﷺ, who had received news of the prophecy that there is going to be a messenger coming. Okay, And it's really no different. That time was very no different than ours. Is it common, is it not commonplace that you talk to people and you all agree? You talked about the affairs of the world and you all come to a consensus that this is the end of time. Like big things are going to happen soon because this is untenable the way we're living now. Like the, in terms of the uh, destruction of life and societies reaching such a uh, a boiling point, something has to happen, right? So, in the same way that we have that talk now, they had that talk then that there's going to be a new prophet coming and he's going to uh, decisively separate between truth and falsehood and establish a new religious community. Okay. Finally, after all this, okay, he goes, he takes the two rabbis, he takes them with you, I want you to come with us so that you could be our educators. He goes down to Yemen, okay, and he comes upon his people. Now, remember, he left with the intent to destroy Medina because you killed one of my sons, Yathrib. He ends up becoming a convert to monotheism. Um, and on the way back, now you can imagine, news didn't spread that quickly. So our king and his army are gone for so long. They come back. What's the news? Where's the spoils of war? What do you have for us? What did you do? What are the stories now? We need to hear all the stories. So it was exciting when someone came in in the old days. Today, someone comes in. You already know what happened, right? Someone, someone in the family goes on a trip to China before he comes back. You read minute by minute these days. You get the minute by minute. Okay, uh, the whole world now. You can get the minute by minute, except for some isolated countries that you may go to. But nonetheless, as soon as you get into the airport uh, or any city, you get to download everything before they even arrive back. So he arrives back now. 
They get the shock of their lives. No more paganism. He's canceling paganism. Establishing Tawheed. Okay? And he gives them a speech and he invites them all to accept what he's accepted. What he accepted. فَأَبَوْ عَلَيْهِ حَتَّى يُحَاكِمُوهُ إِلَى النَّارِ الَّتِي كَانَتْ بِالْيَمَنِ They refused. And they had a fire in Yemen. وَكَانَتْ نَارٌ تَحْكُمُ بَيْنَهُمْ فِيمَا يَخْتَلِفُونَ فِي تَأْكُلُ الظَّالِمُ وَتَضُرُّ الْمَظْلُومُ وَلَا تَضُرُّ الْمَظْلُومُ And they had at that time a, a fire in which they believed it was sacred and it was holy and it was the remnants of the ancient times that would judge for them. You put your hand in it, it either burns you or it doesn't. If it burns you, you're guilty. If it doesn't burn you, you're not guilty. Okay? So, interesting stuff. This is the ancient times here we're talking. All right? وكانت نار تحكم بينهم في ذلك تأكل الظلم فخرج قومه بأوثانهم وما يتقربون به في دينهم they all came out with all their sacred stuff their idols and everything وخرج الحبراني the two Jewish rabbis remember this is before the prophet so these are this is the tr- closest you're going to get okay it's not 100% truth but it's the closest you're going to get they came out with their masahif their Torah alright they hanging things on their neck all right, and all the things that they hold sacred. They sat with it by the fire. All of a sudden, they come up close to this fire, and this fire comes out towards them. Okay. So they ran away. They said, no, 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 you have to sit here and wait okay, to see what happens. So at that point, the pagan sat the pagan priests sat, the rabbis sat, and the fire started to come out and stopped right in front of the rabbis, but it ate up. It started to burn away at the idols and the priests. So the people then knew that the way of pagans is wrong and the way of monotheism is correct. And that's how Himyar entered into Judaism. And they became Jews. They are converts. There's no mention of a bloodline there. They're converts into Judaism. Okay, 
فأجابهم فاجتمعوا على ذلك إلا ذا رعين الحميري فإنه نهاه عن ذلك فلم يقبل منه فقال ذو رعين ألا من يشتري سهرا بنوم سهرا بنوم سعيد من من يبيت قرير عين فإما حمير عذرت وخانت فمعذرة الإله الذي رعيني ثم كتبهما في رقعة وختم عليها ثم أتى بها عمرا فقال له ضع لي هذا الكتاب عندك ففعل ثم قتل عمر أخاه حسان ورجع بمن معه إلى اليمن Alright, so now what happens next? That king lives happily ever after. Okay. His son, Hassan, rules. Hassan becomes ambitious and he wants to travel with the army throughout the, all the lands of the Arabs and he wants to go up to Persia and he wants to see what he can take and see what see the world. They do all this, they get exhausted from his 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 travels. And they say, Enough is enough, let's go back to Yemen. He says, No, we're we're gonna keep going. So what do they do? They go to his brother. They say don't you want to be king? We'll give you the bayah, finish us of this Hassan. So he does. He kills his brother and he becomes king. Now it's Amr ibn Taban. فَلَمَّا نَزَلَ عَمْرُ بِنْ تَبَانَ الْيَمَنِ مُنِعَ مِنْهُ النَّوْمِ وَصُلِّطَ عَلَيْهِ السَّهَرِ فَلَمَّا جَهَدَهُ ذَلِكَ سَأَلَ الْأَطِبَّاءِ وَالْحُزَاءِ من الكهان والعرافين عما به فقال له قائل منهم إنه والله ما قتل رجل قط أخاه أو ذا رحمه بغيا على مثل ما قتلت أخيك عليه إلا ذهب نومه وسلط عليه السهر فلما قيل له ذلك جعل يقتل كل من أمره بقتل أخيه حسان من أشراف اليمن حتى خلص إلى ذي رعين فقال له ذرعين إن لي عندك براءة فقال وما هي قال الكتاب الذي دفعت إليك فأخرجه فإذا فيه البيتان فتركه ورأى أنه قد نصحه Alright, so what next with this king? He gets back to Yemen and he can't sleep, he can't eat, he's miserable He goes and he calls all the doctors, he calls all the medicine men, he calls all the priests, anyone who knows anything And he says what's with me? They said, no man kills his brother. No man kills a relative, except Allah curses him with anxiety. Okay? So he regrets killing his brother. And what does he do to compensate? He goes back to all the people who plotted against, uh, uh, plotted this. And he kills them all. Except the one man, Ruhain, who was against it. All right, so he kills them all. And then he lives as king. وهلك عمر فمرج أمر حمير عند ذلك وتفرقوا عمر dies early and there's no king after him and the affair of حمير breaks up they break up they're no longer one uh, simple monarchy what are, what are we reading from today we're reading from تهذيب سيرة ابن هشام تهذيب سيرة ابن هشام فوثب almost done with this chapter فوثب عليهم رجل من حمير لم يكن من بيوت المملكة يقال له لخنيع لخنيع ينوف ذو شناتر 
فقتل خيارهم وعبث ببيوت أهل المملكة منهم. So a man comes لخنيعة and he takes over. وكان لخنيعة أمرا فاسقا. Okay. يعمل عمل قوم لوط. Okay. Here, put this in your LGBT history. لخنيعة is gay. Okay. They're always looking for some, scraping for some historical reference point. Here. He was a filthy man, they say here in the book. Hey, I'm not saying it. Don't cancel me. He's saying it. I'm just quoting. Okay. okay. He's a homosexual. Okay. So what does he do? He conquers now. This gay man conquers all of this, the scattered country now. Takes over. And he now calls for the one who actually should be, is the rightful king. The youngest brother of these two brothers, Amr, Hassan and Ammar, uh, and Amr. They had a younger brother, so he calls him in. He wants to see the person who is the rightful heir because that's your first threat. The rightful heir is your first threat, right? So he calls him in. Who comes in? Lo and behold, a young man, handsome, well-dressed, well-kept, intelligent. Okay. So the messenger went, got this young boy, and saw him, and he said, oh, you're in trouble. You're handsome, you're young, and the king is now gay. All right. So he says, listen. Okay. Take this knife. Took the knife. Okay. And he's the one who should be king, right? took the knife he went in onto this king and as soon as the king made his move he killed him okay he is what's the word homophobic <laughs> okay hey is the kid's about to get raped i think he has the right to defend himself so they said no you're our king now back to the family right وكان بنجران بقايا من أهل دين عيسى بن مريم عليه السلام إن نجران nearby little north of them there were Christians so now you have Jews and Christians in Yemen أهل فضل واستقامة upright and good people لهم رأس يقال له عبد الله ابن الثامر their leader at the time was called عبد الله ابن الثامر فسار إليهم ذو نواس بجنوده فدعاهم إلى اليهودية He then goes there and says, no, become Jews. Choose Judaism. This 
handsome one who killed the homosexual king. Okay. He now goes to the Christian and says, come and become Jews. They said, no. How could we be Jews? We're one step ahead of you. Have Christ. Oh, he, said, he got angry with them. He looked around. He said, we're stronger than you. You are all, you have palm trees and you're farmers. We travel the world and we conquer. We are tough. We're strong. You either become Jews or I kill you all. They said, what? He told his army, dig Uchdud, dig ditches. And this is where Surat al-Buruj, Ashab al-Uchdud, is him. Okay? He's a, not only is killed the gay king, now he's going to do a genocide. And he says, Christians, you either become Jews or all of you are going to be killed. Okay? This is like a reverse uh, version. Because it's the Jews doing it this time, not getting it done to them. By the way, Ashab al-Ukhdud, by the way, this is not something abnormal. This was in all places at that period of time and maybe a couple hundred years before. Everywhere, if the minority got on the nerves of the majority, the king would just dig a ditch and just basically kill them all. So Ashab al-Ukhdud, if you read the Tafasir, the Jews were killed by pagans. Christians were killed by Jews. Christians were killed by pagans. Okay. So people and any tribe that was just deemed you got you're a problem for us. We don't like you. And you're a minority, you can't defend yourself. The people back then would dig these ditches, light them on fire. This is from the time way back, hundreds of years. This was the habit of of nations, right? And they would just finish the entire tribe in one day. The entire minority that you have a problem with will be just killed in one day life was was vicious back then okay so those are ashab al-ukhtud فَحَرَّقَ مَنْ حَرَّقَ بِالنَّارِ وَقَتَلَ بِالسَّيْفِ وَمَثَّلَ بِهِمْ حَتَّى قَتَلَ مِنْهُمْ قَرِيبًا مِنْ عِشْرِينَ أَلْفَ 20,000 people he backspaced them he literally highlight delete no that's not it it's this control alt right, right select the whole thing and delete 20,000 people he killed. Want to move it? Fafidi Nawasin Dalika Wajundihi and Zalallahu Ta'ala Allah Rasuli Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Kutila Ashabul Uhdudi and Nadi that it wakudi Idhumala Kaud, Umala Maya Faruna Bil Mu'minina Shuhud, Wama Nakamu Minhum Illa and Yukminu Billah Laziz al Hamid. Okay. You accept Jesus and you're not gonna be Jews? We're gonna kill you. And Surat Al Buruj was revealed. For them. ويقال كان في من قتل ذو نواس عبد الله بن الثامر رأسهم وإمامهم. Their chief went down with them, and that's the way for a chief to go. It's not for a chief to, uh, not appropriate for a chief to flee while his people get killed. So he, the chief went down. وأفلت منهم رجل من سبع يقال له دوس ذو ثعلبان. على فرس له فسلك الرمل فأعجزهم فمضى على وجهه ذلك حتى أتى قيصر ملك الروم, ملك الروم فاستنصره على ذي نواس وجنوده فأخبره بما بلغ منهم So the word the ذو نواس Remember now who ذو نواس is He is the third son of the first character we talked about First character we talked about is تبع who went up 
to destroy Yathrib and ends up becoming a monotheist and a Jew, comes down, makes Yemen Jews, converts them to Judaism, then his three sons rule. One is the rightful ruler, then the next, Hassan. Then Amr kills Hassan. Then Amr dies. Then Lakhni'a takes over, the homosexual king of Yemen. Okay? Netflix, Netflix movie coming up soon. Okay? Then he gets killed. I mean, he hardly ruled, right? He, he takes over. Then he calls the, the biggest threat. And when the messenger sees that he's a young, handsome young man, gives him a knife, protect yourself, you're about to get raped. Okay? He goes in, and this person was quick on his feet. Right? He kills the gay king. And then he goes, and I guess he kills on his first day as king, so killing is his habit now. He goes to Najran, sees the Christians there. They refuse to become Jews. He kills all of them. And he takes over Najran. So now word of this king is spreading everywhere. Until some people, they go up to the Byzantine lands, the Roman lands, the Byzantine lands, and they start complaining, like, we need help. This, this guy, is, he's, he's too much. Okay. Okay. He says, a man goes there and says, we're far from you, but we have, okay, we're too far. The Roman says, like, where's Byzantine? Where's Rome? Right, I mean, I mean uh, Yemen. The Biz- when we say r- the room, we mean the edges of r- the Roman Empire, which is like Syria, Jerusalem, those parts. Romans ruled there. The Romans being the Byzantines. The Byzantines are Romans. When when the Germanic tribe took over Rome and Rome became a mess, they all packed, picked up shop, and they uh, or packed up and they went over, and the the best piece of land that they found was Anatolia, and they started. Constantinople. So Constantinople, the Byzantine, is the new Rome. It's an extension of the same Roman kings and Roman emperors. Okay. So this Roman emperor says, it's too far. We have friends, Christian friends. Where are they? Habasha, Ethiopia. Good kingdom there, strong Christians. All right. And since you're saying that this guy, Thu Nawas, he slaughtered our brethren in Christianity, we'll get the payback. We can't do it, but our friends will do it. So he writes a letter. He says, go, uh, the Byzantine king, Christian, sends to the Ethiopian Christian, go help our people. They just got genocided, basically. He tells him, go help them. Okay. He goes... Dos is the name of this messenger. He takes the letter and he goes down to Ethiopia. All right, and he sees the 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 Najesh. The Najashi is the name of their kings. And Najashi, we know some people think that and Najashi is someone's name. No, it just means the king. Ethiopian word for king. Okay, we can ask Noah if that's exactly what what it is. Okay, Fakadima Dosun. Dos is the man who went to complain. على النجاشي بكتاب قيصر فبعث معه سبعين ألف من الحبشة 70,000 soldiers وأمر عليهم رجلا منهم يقال له الرياض ومعه في جنده أبرها الأشرم okay. So the ruler, the, the general was الرياض 
and Ariat goes to Yemen now to get revenge from the Noes for this massacre of 20,000 Christians. Okay. For Ariat gets on the ships and they all get to, they cross the sea and they get to Yemen, from East Africa to Yemen. Dhunawas goes now to, to fight and they lost the battle. Okay. And when he when Dhunawas saw all of this and he saw the blood and he saw the bloodshed and, and the all the loss, okay. At the beach. They fought at the beach. Oh, this is a great movie. A war on the beach now, right? A war at the beach. I mean, if you're creative, you could create like you could do a lot with this. Like you can make a lot of like a series of movies with this. You got massacres. You got a gay king. You got so much. You got brother killing brother. This is drama, okay? You got a lot of stuff going on here. So they fought at the beach, and Dunoas sees he's lost his kingdom. So what does he do? He strikes his horse and runs into the ocean, okay, until he died. Okay, he doesn't even want to see. Life after losing the battle, and Ethi- the Habasha, the Ethiopians, have taken over Yemen. Okay, taken over Yemen. وَدَخَلَ أَرْيَاطِ الْيَمَنِ فَمَلَكَهَا or فَمَلِكَهَا. He became Ariat is now the king, the Ethiopian king of Yemen. Okay. فَأَقَامَ أَرْيَاطُ. You want more, or should we stop here? It's been we've been reading now for almost an hour. Well, now, yeah, no, we're almost done. We're almost done. This is no. Now we get to see how does Abraha take over. Ariat is now king of Yemen. How does Abraha take over? He's king of Yemen now. He's ruling Yemen, and years pass. Okay. ثم نازعه في أمر الحبشة باليمن أبرهة الحبشي حتى تفرقت الحبشة عليهما أبرهة الأشرم is a Christian he's, he is a scholar they're all Christians but he's a scholar and he's a general and he's ambitious he rises in the ranks and he gains a little following until he's like a snake he gains a following until he's strong enough to face off with Ariat himself. Okay. And he splits the army. He gets half of the people to follow him. Okay. Out of the army. All right. Now the army split. Some people want Abraha to take over. And some people are saying we have a ruler. Ariat is our ruler. When it reached a boiling point that now we have two loyalties here. You know, Ariat, is he asleep or what? One of your generals is cooking up all this behind your back. You're not aware. Like you have to be perceptive. So clearly he wasn't. He was apparently fooled. So Abraha now is strong enough. He writes a letter to Ariat. Okay. Okay. 
Febru's ilayya. He says, Abraha writes him, says, we're not going to have a civil war. We're already a minority ruling over these Arabs. We're not having a civil war. We're going to have a duel. Me and you. Okay? Me and you. Febru's ilayya wa abru's ilayka fa'iyuna asaba sahibun sarafa ilayhi junda. Instead of having a civil war, we'll have a duel. Ariyad says, fine. He agrees. Psh, weak. Weak. Wait, you are the rightful ruler, right? Why would you accept okay, this type of thing? Abraha goes out, and Abraha was short and slow, fat. He was heavy set. Okay? All right? But he was a scholar in Christianity and he had zealots around him. They were like zealots. Okay. Ariyat comes out and was tall, okay, and more handsome than Abraha. So if you have a duel with swords, who's going to win? The short arms or the long arms, right? The, the guy with long arms should win in, an, in, in a duel with swords. It's not a duel with guns, okay? So he then says, he used to fight with a long spear. Remember the Habasha, they used to use the spears. He has a long spear. Okay? So what happened? Subhanallah. Abraha cheats. He cheats. He takes a boy behind him. So he comes with two to the duel, not one. He takes a smaller boy behind him. Khalafa Abrahatu Ghulamun Lahu Yukaluhu Atauda Yamnao Dharahu Farafa Ariat al Harba Fadaraba Abraha Yuridu Nafuhu Fawakat al Harbatu Ala Jabhati Abraha Fasharimatha Jibahu Wa Anfahu Wa Ainahu Washafatahu Fabidari Kasuma Abraha al Ashram Wahamala Atauda Ala Ariat من خلف أبراه فقتله وانصرف جند أرياط إلى أبراه فاجتمعت عليه الحبشة باليمن. So Abraha knows I can't win in a duel. Now, why would you expect Abraha to be fair when he's a rebel? Right? The whole affair is unfair. So why would you think he's going to be fair here? So they come out, and immediately أرياط takes the spear, and he doesn't spear him like this. He strikes him with it. And it strikes, and he tries to avoid it, but he can't fully avoid it, and he scrapes his face. It cuts his nose, it cuts his lips, it cuts his chin, okay? And he falls over, right? But there's a boy there with a, with a knife, and he stabs Ariyat. Because Ariyat's is not expecting another boy to be there, or another soldier to be there. So, Abraha, the whole affair is, is, is a revolution, and the duel is unjust, too. But everyone accepts it and they all join Abraha and he's called Al-Ashram because of that scar that he had across his face. Okay. And that's how Ibn Hisham begins his seerah with these stories about the ancient kings who knew that there's a prophet coming and how is it that Abraha ends up as king of the Arabs, uh, of, of Yemen and this affair is going to lead to, of course, Ashab al-Fil and how they're going to go up to Mecca and this is really what ends up making the big change in Arabia because once the Muslims 
go uh, once the, the 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 birds come and protect the haram. No tribe. Two things happen. No tribe of the Arabs disagrees that Quraysh is the elite tribe. That's number one. No tribe disagrees with the Kaaba anymore as being the most sacred space. And all the tribes allow, don't want to fight Quraysh, so they now host Quraysh. Whenever Quraysh is traveling north and south, that saves Quraysh a lot of money on security. They never get robbed. They don't have to secure their belongings anymore. Every tribe hosts them and wants to marry from them. So their lineage spreads far and wide. And when their path north and south for trade suddenly becomes tax-free, security-free, everything's paid for, they made a lot of money. So the wealth of Quraysh that the Prophet sent him, when the Prophet is now 30 and 40, and he sees the wealth divide, where is the source of that wealth? Is after Qissat al-Fil. The elephant story of the elephant happens And no one in Arabia ever wants to mess with the Arabs anymore So they now welcome them That's also what Ibn Abbas says Is after this incident All the families wanted to marry from Quraysh So the lineage of Quraysh literally went everywhere All Arabs have the lineage of Quraysh in them And uh, they prospered greatly all from that story Okay. So Abraha, if he was a man who understood signs He should take a sign here that your monarchy is not going to be really that good if it starts off with getting sliced in the face because that's a very bad omen. The sliced in the face is a very bad omen. So we'll stop here and we'll start shifting to other segments of our podcast and our program. Uh, where are we at today? We Let's, let's do a little bit of... Um, Let's get a little bit of uh, housekeeping. Summer term has begun. And what do we have in the summer term? Sheikh Noah Saunders' tafsir class on ArcView Plus. So sign up from uh, for ArcView Plus, Sheikh Noah Saunders, and Sharh Jawharat al-Tawheed with Sheikh Usama, plus many, many, many other classes. And then ArcView Basic. We have a pilot program for HIFS. If you want your kids to be involved in HIFS, all right, but you also want them to learn Sira, to learn Fiqh, you can do it all now at ArcView Basic, okay, uh, which is only $10 a month, so you could sign up for all of that. HIFS, Sira, Fiqh, everything for just 10 quid a month, or $10 a month, where the British say quid, okay. All right. What else do we have? You can support this stream by going to patreon.com slash Safina Society. You go to patreon.com slash Safina Society, then uh, you can support the live stream and you can uh, help us continue this. Okay. What's the youngest age for hips? I think if you could sit, if you could sit uh, carefully. Or, or uh, sit, you know, through the lesson. I think he'll be. I can't put it by age, but I could put it by a discipline, right? If if a kid sits carefully, uh, or you know, pays attention, then he could do the hips. SoundCloud apparently has changed its logo from orange to black. I don't understand why. It, it, it they were known by orange. I don't. Is it a good branding move or not? Minimalistic, yeah. 
I get the they they were two colors, or one color, orange, right? Sticks out, right? But why would they just change it to black? Even more minimalist, huh? Subhanallah. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And when I look at it, I just look for the orange blob on the app. Yeah. What is it now? Yeah. 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 All right, we got the word from Noah. It's from the ancient Gez. Negus, pronounced Negus. Negus. Yep. So there we go. Other um, housekeeping items? Is there anything else that we need to discuss before we move on to Q&A? Um. All right, let's. Uh, someone here says Muslim Corner says uh, Abraha was a right winger and Ariat was a liberal. Uh, <laughs> who is accepting? He's accepting this, right? This is a revolution against you. Abraha should not live to see a day. He doesn't get a chance. He doesn't get a hearing. He doesn't get a duel. Right? He's a rebel. He should be killed. He's a weak liberal, he says. Can't disagree with that. All right, let's open it up now. We Monday we usually do a longer Q&A, and if there's any other issues, any other books we want to read from, we'll do that, so let's kick it off. Um, we have guests here from England, from Bradford, England. So how was Bradford in the summer? Good. Bradford, England is the home of Sheikh Ibrahim Osiefa's um, here. Just tie it, tighten it up, tighten it up with the. I don't know if you have these things in, in Bradford. But just tighten the. Yeah, just tighten it so it doesn't fall on you. Bradford, England, first of all, is um, has a gorgeous park, and it's generally as a, as a city prettier than Birmingham. Doesn't have as many shiuch and masajid, but it's prettier city if we're going to compare the both of them have very densely populated muslim societies Bradford bradford had a um um a college there that went out of business and sheikh ibrahim osiyaf's organization although sheikh ibrahim lives in liverpool yeah. but his organization put the bid out and won the bid and they now are the um so that was the old business school. It was old business yeah, school. So yeah. The Bradford University, I went there, so that was still open. I think you said in one of the pods that they yeah. they, they bought the university. They didn't buy the university. The university still stands. Yeah, the university, oh, yeah, only so, the business school. So it's just the business school. That okay, only the business yeah. school is what they own. Yeah, that campus. It's a massive campus. 14 and a half acres or something. 40? 14 and a half. 14 and a half acres, like a that. lot of buildings. A lot of grass. And it's something that is... Um, um, the architecture is really old, yeah. So it's a beautiful building now, Gothic. and they prayed Jumma. I prayed Jumma with them there. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, old Gothic style buildings. So there's a lot of activity you could do there because the population is um, very densely populated with Muslims. Like when I went to the campus center, it was pretty quiet because it was summertime, right? But 
everyone at the desk, the security, the everyone was a Muslim there. Like England, here, here is there's a new type of country that I would say, which is a, which is a not a Muslim country, but it's now Islamically friendly. This is not a legal category, but it's a experiential category, just like Muslim friendly countries. Mm-hmm. And I could tell you that England has really it's there already. And here, here is the litmus test. If you can literally pray anywhere without being looked at or harassed. I was at, next to Big Ben. And we needed to pray. There's a park next to Big Ben. We just put out some, you know, clothes that we had. And we just prayed on it. No one bats an eye. People walk bad. They don't even bat an eye. Right? Um, Scotland Yard. Down by, I think it's you know, by, the, by the water somewhere. Scotland Yard headquarters. Has a lawn next to it. But myself, I just prayed. No one bats an eye. Uh, halal food. Never have to look. There's no such thing as where's their ears? Halal restaurant. If. There's always halal food everywhere. So I would say that that's where you, 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 you get the feeling that it's not a Muslim country, but it's a very Muslim friendly country. And I think the United States eventually is going to get to that. Not by population. Not by population. But enough people will come to respect Muslims. That will have a place here. And how does how does a people have a place in a country? Is when enough people in that country, their hearts accept you, right? And enough people. Number one, they're accepting Islam, and number two, they're accepting of Muslims. That's that's becoming something that we see. Mm-hmm. And in England, it's not even that people have a choice anymore to accept Muslims because the numbers are so high to the point. Not that you have a choice like you're being a jerk and not giving them a choice. No, like. You don't have a choice to accept people when their population's that high. You just have to get accustomed to it, right? And also, uh, discrimination, it's possible to do when you really don't deal with a lot of a certain group of people, mm-hmm. right? Discrim- you want me to move this again? But when you deal with so many different types of those people, discrimination in your mind becomes silly. Right, so if someone, if I deal with, let's say Hindus, let's say, and deal with a lot of Hindus, hypothetically, it's just silly for someone to say, "Oh, Hindus are like this." Well, there's so many different ones, and I've seen that they're all different in their thing that you can't paint them. With. So when you don't, when you deal with a small, when you don't deal with the people, it's easy to paint them all with a brush and and push and dismiss them. But when I do, I'm going to see them every single day, right? You don't do that anymore, and that's what's happening now with Muslims. It's probably very hard for anyone in England except for trying to be a right-winger to make a broad statement about Muslims because everybody will deal with many types of Muslims, practicing and not practicing Muslims. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get to be... Huh? It's far more comfortable than other places in Europe. Oh, yeah, like, far more I went comfortable. to Italy, yeah. uh, France, and there were people playing on the bench doing Ashara, and I said, there's a, there's a park there, why don't you just get your yeah. Masala, why don't you just pray? Yeah. And he said he, he, he felt... You know that they discriminate again, and he was working a yeah. migrant worker, and he was just praying with you know using his head and ishara, and that's oh, it uh, on the bench, like sat, still like a statue. And, and in England, we would just we would just get them. We just people yeah, looking yeah. at it. The yeah, they're they're really against it, huh? Yeah, it's yeah. more uh, it's more uncomfortable. It's really I, mean, I mean, I went to the it's mosque. It's worse. They're the they're <laughs> think about it. They have a history. In Cordoba right. and, and Granada, when we got tickets to go into the mosque, uh, they said, 
they knew because they knew yeah. we were Muslim, and they're just like this. This no mosque, no pray in yeah. broken English, no yeah. pray here because they know people did it. But I think Sidi Muad did the Azan there, yep. so a video of that, <laughs> and he didn't get stopped. <laughs> no, they're totally, uh, they're totally, um, they have that, they're, they're continuing that history and it's revived recently. Mm-hmm. Their history of hatred, the Spain are the from the original crusaders, yeah, the French and the Spanish are the original crusaders, mm-hmm. so we shouldn't expect any love from them. But Spain, I think. Just the population. Both of them have the population, but Spain, they're they haven't been as aggressive as the French. Right? You get you get the feeling that in the air is a coming serious conflict in France because the numbers are just tilting too much, yeah. and and the Muslims there, they got the toughest ones. They got the Algerians, right? Yeah, and <laughs> Palestinians are tough. You haven't seen Algerians. Like they're equally tough as Palestinians. If they had Egyptians, for example, you wouldn't have any problems, right? <laughs> they, they, will, they will melt into the population, all right? Show me one place where Egyptians went and caused trouble, right? They don't cause trouble. E- Egypt. <laughs> Egypt is the biggest place that caused trouble. And when Caesar came, they made him Caesar before he came. Before he even landed in Egypt, they had crowned him as Caesar. Like anyone who comes to conquer, they don't put up a fight to, of conquerors let alone be a minority and put up a fight. But the French, they're tested. They got the Algerians, they got the West Africans. So, But I feel bad for them because after all that happened and that rioting and all that, it's all going to come back against them. Now the French are going to crack down way harder now than ever before. So we haven't seen that yet. Right? But there's going to come some issue and they're going to crack down way harder. Right? So... Mini Star says there's subtle racism towards hijabis in the UK, but it's not often. Yep, I'm sure that it's gonna, it'll always be, but it's just something that they would have to hide it. Even the the people who want to do have that racism against them or this discrimination, they would have to hide it. I mean, I had a friend who's a yeah. chartered accountant, and they went for like a you know like a meal, like a work meal, mm-hmm. like a social kind of thing. Yeah, and. He, he had some juice or something. He said it tasted horrible. Yeah. He found out that one of his co-workers had put alcohol in it. Oh, and really? It and he was so wow. disgusted. He told the manager and yeah. straight away got fired. The, the person fired him. Wow, for spiking the Muslim yeah, drink. Yeah. Wow, No reference, crazy. nothing. That's it. Dismissed. Couldn't Dismissed, subhanAllah. That's crazy. So they really, you know, in the professional world, yeah. you discriminate. You They're know, not going to tolerate it. No. I going to tolerate it. And that's why, I, as I said, that it's not um, a justification or a support of some of these Muslim presidents and MPs and whatever they are, prime ministers or whatever. But there is, Allah does have a wisdom in everything that he does. And Allah does not have to obey the Sharia when he spreads the truth. Okay, Allah can spread the truth how he wants. There are people on the fringes of of, of of the society when it comes to interaction with Muslims. But when they look up and they say, hold on, the president of the country is a Pakistani Muslim. And he doesn't know what a difference between a liberal and a not liberal is. He just sees a Pakistani Muslim as president. Uh, the head of London, or the mayor of London, is a Pakistani with a Muslim name. Right? Those people on the outs, on the edges, they get affected by that. They realize, okay, these people are here. They're in our country. Right? They're, they're part of our country whether we like it or not. So Allah does have a wisdom in all these things. 
And that may be one of the wisdoms is that you get people who are so far from dealing with Muslims that are living in these little hamlet towns. But when they see the president of the country is a Muslim, it's going to affect them. It's going to make them realize, all right, they're here. They're probably here to stay. Okay. Abdul Hadi says, at what point does a joke become mockery of the deen? Like if someone calls a pair of dad sandals the Jerusalem sevens. I don't think we should go to any mockery. The, right. Um, all jokes related to the deen, I would assume, we should we should stay away from. And the question would be, at what point would they put us out of Islam? That's the question. I think we should avoid all types of jokes, right? But the question is, at what point does the joke earn us some lashes and ridda? And we have to redo our shahada because it could reach that. Any joke about prophets, any joke about anything like that is uh, about um, sahaba. Put you out of Islam. Let me read a little bit from this book here. And that's what we do on the stream. We read different works um, and enrich our minds with them. The Divine for Critical Minds, Inquiry into God's Existence. Why I love this book? Though everything is essentially one to two page sections. What is logic and why should we use it? Logic is a branch of philosophy that helps us arrive at the right answer. That's why earlier on another stream I said uh, this nonsense with Greek logic that, that some Sadafi kids parrot all the time. It's nonsense. You will see logic in our works. Nothing of the Greek beliefs has entered the works of Islam as mainstream texts that we study. Nothing, not one. You're not going to see one. When someone says Greek logic, it means it would the, the assumption there is logic based upon the Greek order or Greek beliefs, logic within their Greek beliefs. So, what is usul al fiqh? It's the logic of Islamic law, the sources of Islamic law, and the logic of how to go through them and extract a ruling. Okay. Um, Hindu logic. What would Hindu logic be? It would be whatever the baseline structure of existence is to a Hindu, right? Logic within that would be Hindu logic, okay? So for someone to say Greek logic, what they, what that means is that assumptions that the Greeks have, beliefs, pure, pure beliefs that they had about the world and the universe, and then the logic within that. You, you, don't, that's, it's a, you don't find any of that in the mainstream works of Ahl-Sunnah. But, why they go back to the Greeks is that the Greeks were the first authors on logic. Well, in medicine, probably non-Muslims were the first people who wrote books on medicine, right? Who were the first people to... Uh, Hippocrates, okay? So if I now study medicine, am I studying Greek medicine? Not necessarily. Just because he wrote about medicine and he's the first... Uh, a person who is famous for this. So likewise, the Greeks are the first people who became famous for writing about mantuk. Okay, Even if I were to read Hippocrates, does not mean that I'm accepting all of his dictums. Even if I were to read the books of Aflaton, right? Socrates, Plato, and uh, Socrates, and Orustu, and all these people, right? Read them. That doesn't mean I'm accepting all their premises. That's the thing. All right, so... 
He says here that logic is a branch of philosophy that helps us arrive at the right answer. McKernany, author of, a, of the concise work Being Logical, A Guide to Good Thinking, defines it as it is essentially about the truth. For truth to be known in any reliable way, we must carefully follow the rules of logic and avoid its fallacies. One of the best ways to study logic is to study fallacies. Okay, Study type, different types of fallacies that exist in people's thinking. Yes, truth can be discovered in an illogical manner. We can correctly guess that 2 plus 2 is 4, right? Because it feels good, or we guessed a number of numbers and we eventually got it right, okay? So guessing, feeling, uh, this is where the lazy don't want to think or take responsibility, so they go to, um, what's the word? Uh, superstitions. Or they ask a soothsayer. Or they find they any any darb al azlam, darb al azlam. For example, let me just point my finger, and if the first letter to my finger is a Y, that's a yes. If it's an N, then it's a no. Right? This is darb al azlam. So it's laziness in arriving at the truth. It's lazy ways of getting to the truth. Just like gambling is a lazy way to make money. Okay. So you could possibly. Rationally, it's possible, it's rationally possible that you arrive at the truth in an illogical manner. Feelings, superstitions, etc. Guessing. All right. But you would never be sure that you have arrived to the truth. We had no way of having certainty in our position or in correcting it when it's a mistake. Nor would we be able to justify our position. Okay. A man once told me that he's about to make a deal. A big financial deal. And he's looking around for things to help him come to the right, to, to be sure he's right. And he came upon a PDF on some website that is called the Al-Istikhara Bil-Quran. And I read this, and it said, you open the Mus'haf, and you point with your finger. If it's an ayah of Rahmah, talks about Jannah, you keep reading until you come upon the first ayah that talks about either rahma or adab, mercy or punishment. If it's mercy, that's one. You do this three times. Mercy is a yes, punishment is a no. You do it three times, and whatever comes first two times is your answer. I'm like, brother, is this a seven-game series or what? Right? <laughs> and who picked the, the three-game series, Right? Want to make it a seven-game series, like the rest of the playoffs, right? So I said, brother, this is darb al-Islam. It's guessing. And it's, I said to him, you go to your investors when they ask you, why did you make the deal? And tell them, I opened my holy book to three verses. You're never going to have another investor again, right? No, I said, you pray istikhara with every nafida even that you want to pray istikhara. And keep doing istishara and keep using your own intellect to come to the decision. Okay? And he was like, oh, I'm saying, thank you so much because I thought this was the way we do things. Okay. He then says, if intelligence cannot be reliably used by intelligent beings to investigate God, then it means thinking about God's existence is an exercise in futility. Think about this. We're intelligent human beings. If... And we make decisions using our intellect. You make a decision based uh, on, on 
what your family budget should be, how much you should spend on rent, how much you should spend on cars. You make your decision on how to go to Hajj, how much money am I going to spend. You make your decision on, people made their decision with their minds. Should I believe in the Prophet this claim to prophecy, is it true or false? All the Sahaba except for Sayyidina Abu Bakr, they used their brain. And they said, well, if he does this, 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 then this is a sign of truth. Okay, All of them did this. Did not Salman al-Farisi go behind the back of the Prophet to try to see if he had the seal of prophethood? Okay, Did he then measure him against the descriptions of a Prophet? He will not eat from sadaqah, but he will eat from a gift. First day he comes and announces, this barrel of dates is sadaqah. And he sits there watching to see if the Prophet will reach his hand. This barrel of dates is a gift. And he watches again. And he does see the Prophet reach his hand and eat from it. That's logical thinking. So I have the signs. I got to test the signs, right? So how can we be intelligent beings and use our intellect to attain facts and to attain acquire certainty? Well, we should use this to the most important thing. Most important thing is our Creator, right? Well, what would the attribute? What would our Creator be like? A Creator cannot be a rock, cannot be a stone, because these things are dependent. Right? These things come into existence all the time. New rocks are formed every day. Every time there's a storm on a mountain, part of the mountain breaks off, and a rock is formed. If that rock then falls down the hill and breaks up, new pebbles are formed. Every day, this is formed. So therefore, there was a time where you didn't exist. How could you be the creator if you didn't exist? This is logical thinking. All right? So he said, this chapter's investigation is based on the assertion that the concept of God is logically sound, and can be arrived at reliably. We have to then debate and go back to the likes of Dawkins, who always tries to put the God of Abraham alongside with the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the Egyptian gods, and all these other gods. Well, what's the difference? Those gods are either natural things in the sky and in the world, like the Native Americans had this too, or they're human uh, humanly manufactured deities. They drew them, they gave them names, they gave them stories. The God of Abraham has none of this. The God of Abraham is, a res- if we're going to talk phil- the philosophical God, which is the God that you can prove, the attributes of God that you can prove with your intellect, have none of this. It's not a thing in nature. It's not a fabrication of a human being, an invention, a drawing, a name, a story, a statue. What is it? Right. It's the result of thought, we could not have come from nowhere and we could not have existed forever. There must be a creator. That creator cannot then, therefore, have the attributes of created beings coming into existence, being in the existence or in the, in the material existence and so on. My premise will challenge two different uh, camps of people. The theists who just have faith in a form of deity that is logically impossible. And that comes, uh, in, involves some Christians who will just believe in a God, although they will admit to you right on the spot that the one and the three is confusing. And I met a gentleman who was a really nice guy. Okay. Uh, the other day, yes, Saturday, I went out and there was an open market in um, Metuchen. You know, these farmer's markets. So yeah, let's see what kind of fruits and vegetables they got. Get a cup of coffee from the farmers there. 
that all the different sellers that are selling stuff. And I sit in the shade, have this cup of coffee, okay, with my family, and I'm sitting. Lo and behold, a massive guy, huge guy with a shaved head. He's got a massive tissue coming out of his nose. You can't not see him. This guy must have been like 6'4", very big guy. And I'm looking like, what a sight, right? Big tissue, must have a bloody nose, right? So he sits a couple benches away, and I got my misbaha, and I'm drinking my coffee and enjoying the day. And he says, hey, can I ask you a question about this? He said, what do you do with that? Because we Catholics, we have this too. I just talked a little bit. I sat next to him, and we're chit-chatting. And he says, I got to be honest with you, there are a couple verses that point to the Trinity. And it's very confusing, right? And he is a Catholic. This is the number one. This is the number one belief, right, that you need to have. How could you have any shakiness on this? It's almost like you live your whole life. Hey, that's my son. That's my wife. That's my daughter. I'm pretty sure that's my mom. Maybe I was adopted. Maybe not, right? How could the bedrock of your existence be shaky like this? And how could you not have a direct verse? And if it's the truth, I need far more than one verse, right? An illusion. I need it. I need the trend. If it's the truth, right? And there's the book that Jesus brought. I need the Trinity like on every other page. We have Tawheed on every single page of the Quran, right? There's, you cannot pick up the book, the Quran, for half a minute to peruse through it as a complete new, uh, new reader of the, of the Quran. Half a minute, you know that this religion has one God, right? And that God has no competition. There's no partner. There's no competitor. There's no opposite, right? Like a did. God of light, God of darkness. God of heaven, God of hell. No, none of that. Like Satan as the God of evil. No, he's not the God of evil. He's just a creation like anybody else, right? So how could you have this doubt? So the just have faith because that's where they have to go. When they say, I don't really know, just you got to believe it and that's it. We in Islam, we don't do that for anything. You know, to the degree by which this is rejected in Islam is that if you put $5 and say, you want to buy some coffee? Put $5 here, I'll give you some coffee. And you don't know what kind of coffee beans, how many coffee beans, the size of the coffee bean that I have. I'm just promising you coffee. Put $5, I'll give you coffee beans. That sale is invalid. Just trust me. I'm telling you, trust me. Put five bucks here, trust me. I'll bring you coffee beans, right? You're not allowed to make that trade. Even on this, this idea of, Close your eyes and just trust me, right? In, in trade, simple purchases is invalid. You think we're allowed to do that in religion? It doesn't really make sense. It's contradictory. Just trust in it. No. So this is a deen that came to liberate intellects and it came to liberate free will, okay? Because we are also not allowed to go about life just relying upon signs omens bad omens good omens we can't do this right i want to marry him right i'm thinking about marrying him i have a good feeling now think about it use your brain make a decision that is going to last for 50 years 60 years right you cannot now come back later and say well i just it felt right no this is not how we do things in islam okay 
uh, it's not how we do things on good omens, and we definitely don't believe in bad omens. What is what is the basic summary principle on omens in Islam? It should make you happy. It should not harm you. Okay, like you're about to get married, and a bird comes and defecates right on you. It means nothing to us. It means absolute zero. And someone's, um, I guarantee you, in some of these big Muslim families, someone's going to stop the wedding. There's someone that stop. Let's rethink this. Something's wrong. We in Islam will say absolutely nothing wrong is wrong, right? Isharat tasurruk wala tadurruk. And if we, for, if there's a problem, it's not because of the bird. It's something that happened before that, right? You got to check. Did you maybe? reject somebody did you not invite somebody did you hurt somebody did you lie about this that you could say maybe point you to that direction but we would never say okay we're not i'm not doing this why because a bad omen happened a crow crossed in front of us right a ladder was opened inside of a house or an umbrella you walked under an umbrella or all this nonsense right that people are superstitious about in the west these are the superstitions of the west the east has their own superstitions nor will you ever make a decision based upon that. So that's why they said tasurruk. It should make you happy about your decision, not to be the basis of your decision. So we don't do that for things in regular life, let alone for the most important things, which is my creator. Right? Who is my creator? What are his attributes? Okay. So he goes back to those who just have faith in a form of a deity that's logically impossible. And I told this gentleman, he said, listen, can God come in human form? I said, the question is invalid. I said, Rash, can an infinite line be put between my two hands? Can you put an infinite line between my two hands? He said, of course not. Okay. So I said, God is transcendent beyond ever coming into a human form or ever dwelling in his creation. We call this hulul. Okay. Dwelling in his creation or sitting on his creation or being tucked into anything like this called hulul. In our aqidah, God is transcendent beyond. He said, but doesn't that limit God? I said, it's not a limit because the divine power is not connected to rational impossibilities. You don't ask the question, can God do something irrational? Because what you're asking is an impossibility in the first place. Okay? So it's as if saying, oh, God doesn't have limits? Then God, his power is weak because he can't have a limit. Right? It makes no sense. He was, I could tell in his face, his mind was liberated. The moment I said, irrationalities are not connected to divine power. You don't ask that question because it's an invalid question. So I said, look, can God create an elephant that has pink polka dots on it and flies through the sky? Yes, the answer is it's possible. It's a rational possibility. Okay? Because that's something that we haven't seen it. All right? But it could happen. So that's possible. But can God create an equation where 2 plus 2 equals 5? We say the question is invalid because what you're asking could never exist. So you don't ask if a contradiction, if God can create a contradiction. So we say that, all right, Al-Qudra, غير متعلقة, or, or we say Al-Qudra, متعلقة بالجائز عقلاً. The divine, divine power is to be connected and discussed in relation to rationally possible things. Now, not uh, 
mustahir aqlan not things that are rashly impossible it was just a very simple statement okay divine power is not connected to irrationalities he was liberated his mind was like set free right i need to keep in touch with this brother so that's the first group the second group are the atheists who uphold beliefs even when they are logically flawed okay so atheists themselves are not purely logical is his claim here both groups are similar in that they are willing to forego logic okay logical reasoning should make the fundamental case for or against god okay essentially if god created us and wanted us to know about him then what better way than to allow us to use the central utility tool that he presumably created for us our mind come to know me how do you know anything with your mind right so alhamdulillah that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has never ever left the human being to his own devices unless the human being has abandoned his jama'ah but human in general humanity is always given aid allah is always helping people we're never only have to rely upon our mind to know things alhamdulillah that we have revelation why is islam the greatest of religions because its revelation came and spread throughout the world whereas in the past you would have to f- search out far and wide for example al-haq for us the truth for us is dhahir the truth of islam is dhahir there is no such thing as i discovered a truth tucked into a library in a manuscript right and here's the truth and the whole world turned out to be wrong but i figured out like da vinci code that doesn't happen in islam but guess what it did happen in previous ummas there were previous ummas where that prophet may have had two three followers and those three followers two of them died one of them still alive and where is he he abandoned the people and he's living in a cave somewhere so it is possible for previous faiths previous religions previous nations before the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam where the entire society was on paganism and you dug and found the ancient manuscripts and went and found the ancient prophet or the ancient companion of a prophet and you were the only one who discovered the truth that is possible in the world of another religion it is not possible in the world of islam all right this is why the prophet is the greatest of messengers is his deen is like the sun and he calls his deen laylaha kanahariha the most clear time and the most confusing time the dark is the most confusing time you don't know where anything is laylaha kanahariha the most confusing time this religion is as clear as day as if it was daytime la yazigu anha illa halik no one goes astray except he jumps astray halik here does not mean he goes astray. he he just he gets destroyed he wants to be destroyed la yazigu anha illa man arada li nafsihi alhalak Nobody goes astray from this religion except he purposely wants to destroy himself. That's how clear the deen is. Here we are, this is supposed to be one of the most confusing times that we're in, right? If a kid comes onto the 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 world of Islam, they may be confused for a few days, for a few weeks. He's not going to be confused for a lifetime. He's going to be confused cuz oh well this imam says this, another imam says that, there's a madhhab here. there's a shi'i there's a salafi what's going on if you exert effort for 6 months you're going to know what's going on right it's not that hard if you exert honest effort and you contact people and you have a clear brain and a clear heart too it's not going to take too long you're going to settle somewhere 
and you know what the truth is, right? So, I always wanted to read a nebda, a little short chapter from this book. We learn something constantly refreshing, nonstop our knowledge. And now let's turn to the Q&A here. Can you recommend a book on Asbab and Nuzul? Yeah, it's Siyutis. Lubab and Nuqul fi Asbab Nuzul. The the Lubab is the kernels of the transmissions on the Asbab of Nuzul. That's the best book you're going to get. Can you tell me something about Yahya Jilani, son of Abdul Qadr Jilani? I don't know anything about him. I know that his sons formalized the tariqah after him. Do human exist as thoughts? Should we exist? Do we exist physically right as we are right now? Not as a figment of someone's imagination. If a brother had purchased a car in the past with APR, if he sells the car, pays off the principal, are the remaining profits from the sale haram? No. His, if he sells it, the sale will be halal. His having to pay the interest, he should make a istighfar from that. Okay. How much does YouTube take if we become a member? Um, a good question. I really don't know. But Patreon, Patreon, Patreon gives you some more options than YouTube. Good question. And here is an answer saying 30%. Thank you for answering that. Moab, the hadith about blocking the path of non-Muslims and narrowing their path while walking is seen as oppressive by the West. How do you explain this to them? That was in the case if there is um, conflict. Like if there's a conflict between the two, you don't get out of the way when you're walking. They walk out of the way, not you. There's a conflict. In general life, that's not the case at all, right? There's nothing that says that in general life, routinely living in the UK or in England or Christians in Egypt or something or Christians in Syria or something, that we would do that and we behave like that. And none of the scholars did that, nor did the Muslims. So it's in a case of a conflict. Okay. I'm sure we can read more on the shuruhat on that, but I do remember coming upon that and reading that many years ago. Okay. Uh, Chocolate Walla says that people talk about the Trinity and say it's a mystery. Okay, I need the most important thing in my life not to be a mystery, right? I like foundations that are that are. How could you have a foundation? Can you can you imagine someone says to your parents it's a mystery? It's okay. It's a mystery. Maybe you're adopted. Maybe you're not. Could you imagine that? You'd be mentally unwell. You'd be emotionally destabilized, right? How can I not have doubts about my creator? I need to have absolute certainty in my creator. That's why anything that brings a touch of a doubt related to the creator has got to be adjusted and, uh, because there are things that are harmful. So perennialism is one of the most harmful ideas. The concept that... Um, don't really have to really believe in the prophet peace well then do i really have to pray fetch like if that if that's shaky right why would anything else carry over right and if that's shaky then hold on a second um what was the whole point of this revelation right 
Is the whole point of all this? Oh, you didn't really have to do it. So wait a second. All the Sahaba who fought and one of the Sahaba, uh, Zubair ibn al-Awwam, the 10 guaranteed paradise, they, don't, they could not see skin anymore on his back. It was all scar tissue from the battles that he fought. But then there were Christians who died in Najran, right? Christians in Yemen, Christians here. Are you telling them they have the same finality, right? The same result? What was the point of it all then? Also, anything that would suggest God is tricky. God tricks you. God maybe could be tricking you, right? What does Allah say about this in the Quran? He limits it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the bad plot only comes to the one who is trying to plot against somebody else innocently or, or, or as a, uh, someone who is innocent. You dig a hole for an innocent person to fall in, that's what you're going to, you're the one who's going to fall into it. That's God's trick. God's trick is your trick on the innocent person that comes back to you. There's never a belief in Islam that, oh, maybe Allah is going to mislead me. Oh, maybe Allah is tricking me. Okay. Maybe I have this great feeling of sakina in my heart, but it's a trick. Right? There's no games like this being played. When the Prophet ﷺ saw a mom who was bringing her child to her, and she said to her, to the child, come, I have something in my hand here for you. The Prophet ﷺ said, do you have something in your hand? She said, yes, I have a date. He said, good, because if it not, then you would have been lying. That's a sin against you. So if that is sinful in our religion, is it fathomable that Allah does tricks on people like this? So this, this foundation has to be so clear and solid and no doubt you know this christian guy what he said to me he says you know what i love about islam you guys don't negotiate right <laughs> like you guys got stuff in your religion you don't negotiate he said in our church it's shaky i said man why aren't you a muslim yet subhanallah in my mind i was saying that he says you guys don't negotiate right it's set in stone sometimes a person their heart is somewhere but their mind is still holding them back or their mind is somewhere but their heart is still holding them back okay yeah oh that's a big question that we don't believe that it uh, that it is possible we don't believe we believe it's an irrationality rationally and scripturally scripturally because he calls himself a haq they agree with that too Right, but we differ on it even being a rational possibility because God's speech, knowledge, and action, all uh, about speech, action, and action, okay, are in accord with his knowledge. Right? So there cannot possibly be speech that contradicts action because they're both accord to his knowledge. So uh, that's why we that the Ashari position is that he cannot ever be rationally nor scripturally. Those who say that say it is possible rationally, but not scripturally. All right, what do we got from Instagram? You said God's power doesn't apply to irrational things. Does that mean we can't make dua for things that we feel are irrational? No, we don't make dua for things that are irrational. But what is irrational? Self-contradictory. Oh Allah, make me a daughter and a mother of the same person. Impossible, right? Can never be the daughter and the mother of the same person. Okay? I cannot be someone's mom and their daughter at the same time. 
let me marry someone who is my mahram and not at the same time. It doesn't work like this. So you can make dua for something that you feel is beyond your imagination of how it could happen. Right? That you may make dua for. Uh, we They call that al-mustahil adatan. That, or maybe not, that's not even that. Al-mustahil adatan, we shouldn't even say that. That you're not allowed to make dua for that either. Mustahil adatan is something that is rationally possible, but in real life it's impossible. Like a mountain of hamburgers, right? You're never going to see that. It's not that it's not possible for God to create that, but it's not something in life. But make me a billionaire. It's possible. You cannot, maybe you can't imagine, but you can make dua for that. It's, it's possible. Mustahil adatan, oh Allah, let me dig in the ground until I find a mountain of gold. Mountains of golds could possibly exist, but it's mustahil adatan. That, it's like, it's, it's silliness to make prayers like that. To see something that's mustahil adatan. Ada is the norm of life. But um, you're in a, in a situation, let's just use money as an example. That you are $100,000 in debt. You don't have many skills. You don't have a degree. Yet you are praying that Allah transform your situation to make you a billionaire. Not a millionaire, a billionaire. You surely can make that dua. And in any way, shape and form that you can take the means to do that. That's an answer to your dua. But ultimately... If you take that dua with a sincere heart that like I'm so sick of being impoverished. I want to have a lot of money for a good reason, for a good cause. Okay. And you take that dua to one of the special times and you're truly sincere about this and you believe that it's possible. Uh, give it three, four, five months as long as the pre preconditions of dua that your income and your wealth and your job is halal and your food is halal, then... There's no reason why you, you that dua won't be answered. If you truly, seriously love it and desire it, and you keep to the, the answered times. Okay. Speaking of halal food, a brother really got on the nerves. There is this. There was a sheikh in New Jersey who went around telling his murids that our masjid, I see, or he was saying there is a mosque in Central Jersey that serves non-halal food. Omar, did you hear about this? Okay. So um, he actually comes in and he wants to know, I, I heard our sheikh told us that there is a masjid in central Jersey that serves non-halal food. I wasn't there, but the person did respond to him. First of all, your sheikh would be sinful to not specify what it is. And why would you not specify what it is, right? Can I possibly tell you that in the hamburgers that are here that we're all going to eat right now, one of them's haram. You, you can't. You must identify which one is haram and remove it and discard it. Okay? But if all the hamburgers are there and someone comes in and tucks in one that's haram and mixes it all up, guess what we have to do in Sharia? Discard all of them. Okay? So what this sheikh was actually trying to do is undermine trust. Because he wants to name someone without naming them. And the reason is that he follows an opinion, which is a respectable and honorable and safe and excellent position, which is that the only, only hand slaughtered is halal. The, the, the machine slaughtered is not halal. Ahlan wa sahlan. 
No problem with that. Even some of the Madikia hold that fatwa too. But not all of them. And mo- the bulk of the Shafi'i and the Madikia, they do not have a shart, a condition, that the knife be held with the hand. Right? And they say, what if the knife is the length of the room? And I do this and I slaughter. Is it valid? Yes. Okay, what if I attach the knife to a machine and I press the button? Right? And it's slaughtered. What is the difference? Right? And the Basmala is re- merely recommended in the Shafi'i school. And in the Maliki school, it's a fard ma'adhikri wal qudra. It's fard if I'm able to and if, if I remember. So for that reason, they, they, the shiuch of the Marikiyah, they looked, they, there was nothing wrong with the machine slaughter according to that fatwa. Right? So what he was doing, in fact, is not bringing up halal food, is trying to sow mistrust in the teachers at MBIC. Right? By saying things like they serve, there's a mosque in Central Jersey that serves not halal food. If you had any knowledge, I don't know how you're a sheikh. You would have to specify which mosque and you would have to call us to forbid us from wrong. Right? And forbidding wrong can't be that you have to follow the Hanafi opinion. Sorry, I don't have to follow any of your opinions. Not one of them am I obligated to follow. Right? Not one of your opinions. Nor not one of your shiuch do I have to follow their fatawa. Because it's a matter of ijtihad. Right? In matters of ijtihad where the, uh, where the matter is anazila, we have many madahib, alhamdulillah. Okay. So if the, if the slaughter is valid in someone's madhab, then it would be valid for any Muslim to eat. Okay. Just like Salah. Salah in, in the Shafi'iyah are allowed to swipe over waterproof socks. We are not Madikiyah, are not allowed to do that. Neither are Hanaf allowed to do that or not, Omar. They are allowed. Okay, so if a Hanafi then comes and wipes over one of these uh, athletic socks that are... Um, Hydro skins or whatever, the really thin, the really great socks, right? And the waterproof wipes over them. I pray behind him. It's valid for him, it's valid for me. Same with foods. If it's valid for you, it's valid for me. Maybe like the animal, if it's the animal itself, it may be a different story. So Hanafi will not just walk into someone's house and eat the crabs and all that stuff. That's fine because it's the animal itself. But the method and the means of slaughter in all form of dhahib are valid. And they produce food that may be consumed by a Muslim. Period. Discussion over. And if you enter someone's home, you don't ask. You've already accepted his invitation. So I don't ask. I've accepted your invitation. I don't ask you now, if, how did you slaughter? Did you ma'adhikri wal qudra? Did you remember to say bismillah? Right? Were you ittisad with the knife? Right? Did you have ittisad with the knife? Or was it with a machine? You don't ask those questions. You accepted the invitation, you go. Same with the managers of masajid. The manager of a waqf. He invites you to a, a dinner, right? You accept it. If not, you don't enter it at all. Or at least enter the dinner portion at all. But what you don't do as a Muslim is go in and insult the person by saying, I have doubts about your meats. Right? You can say, if it's not halal, you sell him directly with it, look him in the eyes, say, this is not halal, and this is the proof. Like the fatwa, which I'm, we say it openly, the fatwa of take any meat from the supermarket, say bismillah and eat, we're telling you, this is, there's no ijtihad in this. You must slaughter. If it's a Christian, he must slaughter. If he's a Jew, he must slaughter. Okay? So to go and say, take Tyson's chicken or any old chicken from the supermarket, say bismillah and eat, this is not a matter of ijtihad. So I'm not, there's no hiding it here. We put it in plain slight, sight. Brother, you're eating haram. Meita? Yes, meita. Okay? Not an opinion. 
is ijma okay upon that so what people try to do is sow seeds of mistrust when they say things like that okay and those that malintent is something that people should check their intention and see really what you're what are you really trying to get out you're trying to really make him de- have doubts about going to that place so he can come to your place that's really at the end of the day what it is Can one use omens as a figure of speech, as in seeing something beautiful? You know, it is a sign of Allah, but use the word omen for people to understand. We believe in good omens, right? Good omen, it adds happiness to your decision. It is not the source of your decision, nor is it a bad omen. We don't accept bad omens. We only accept good omens, but not as the foundational basis of a decision such as if someone was to ask you why did you make this decision you should be able to put reasons not an omen an omen just makes you happy about your decision i want to tell you all about a google app uh google chrome app that you can put on your computers it's called tahir and it's meant for people who need to be online all day and doing things you click tahir and it will give you the option to blur okay videos pictures and and anything else to whatever degree you want okay the the blur amount can be little or much okay let's say you need to read forget the forget the haram just how about distraction let's say i want to read an article you use tahir and put the blur all the way all the ads will just come out as just like gray okay so that you avoid distractions. Let's say you're searching for something. I searched one time for dua on YouTube, as every regular Muslim does, right? What do I get? Dua lippa, right? <laughs> Turkish uh, singer, pop star. I think she's a Turkish pop star. I have no idea. Now I got dua lippa coming in my feeds, right? And sometimes, you know, it's like one of these uh, trying to be provocative... Uh, covers that they put all right i don't know if i pronounced it right or not but that's what i got so uh let's say you're searching for something and you think that you see the right one but it's blurred you can go on hover your mouse on that and hit alt k and just see that image right just to see that image or you could be on looking at all the images and you don't want to see one image so you tur- you turn off tahir and you go to the image that you don't want to see and you hit alt k they'll give you the shortcuts in the app right these shortcuts are right there shortcuts there alt what is it alt l alt c right and you so you could selectively un you see that what are you hitting omar alt k so you can blur everything and then just selectively hit Alt K. Okay? And you could turn the whole app on and off with a shortcut key Alt L. Okay? You know what the L stands for? Lower the gaze. Alt L. Right? <laughs> okay. So this is, should really help a lot of brothers and sisters. And someone recently told me that sisters too. Like they get attracted at guys, to, to guys. So we like we always talk about the brothers. But sisters too. 
Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, a while back we did that, yep. So what are some other reasons that, uh, or benefits we can take from honeybees and the reason why Allah mentioned them in the Quran specifically? Honeybees have amazing uh, benefits. One of the benefits is that the health of an environment that's healthy enough for humans to live at can be measured by the health of the bee colonies. So where bees are decreasing, then this is not an, an environment that's really conducive for human life. That's why North Pole, you don't get any bees. Middle of the desert, no bees. Where you have bees, it indicates that there are other things in the environment that humans need. They also say uh, that frogs are no different. The presence of frogs in an area, because what does it indicate? Like fresh water, right? So bees, what does it indicate? Flowers and fruits and all that stuff. So the bee venom is a cure. And there's a whole little cottage industry of little medical, not exactly like uh, mainstream medicine, but alternative medicine. They use bee venom. So they'll get a bee and they'll sting themselves with it. And I'm sure that they have, they have it now as uh, drops. You don't have to actually get a bee, right? Drops. Look at them. They actually get, they actually take a living bee and they sting themselves with it. Okay. Of course, when we eat honey, it's uh, coming from the stomach of the bee. And that's one of the proofs of the Quran too. Because Allah says, from their stomachs is a shifa. And we now know that honey is actually, they're regurgitating something to produce the honey. How would the prophets have known that at that time? It's one of the proofs of the Quran. But you know what we should do? We should really get a book. We should buy a booklet on all the benefits of honey. Anti, we'll go, go back up. Anti-inflammation. How does it, how does it uh, anti-inflammatory? How is it anti-inflammatory? Um, me- melatonin can cause itching, pain, and inflammation. Uh, it has a potent anti-inflammatory effects. Is this the honey or is it bee venom? Bee venom, okay. It can suppress inflammatory pathways and reduce inflammatory markers, such as tumor necrosis factor alpha, TNFA, of course, and interleukin uh, 1 beta. Okay. Arthritis related symptoms can be alleviated by bee venom. All right, go to this, the benefit of skin health. Go down. May benefit skin health. Multiple skincare companies have started adding bee venom, okay, to moisturizers. Uh, the ingredient may promote skin health in several ways, including reducing inflammation, okay, and reducing wrinkles, and it has antibacterial effects. A 12-week study in 22 women demonstrated that applying facial serum containing bee venom twice daily reduced wrinkle depth and total wrinkle count. In com- compared with a placebo. Another six-week study found that 77% of participants with mild to moderate acne who used serum containing purified bee venom twice daily ha- had an improvement in their acne as compared to a placebo. What's more, test tube studies have shown that the venom has powerful antibacterial and anti-inflammatory effects against the acne-causing bacteria. 
Okay, brothers and sisters, if you have acne and you need to get married soon, go get yourself serum with bee venom. If you have wrinkles, okay, go get yourself some of that serum. All right, what other potential benefits? Do you have a neurological disease? Some research suggests that bee venom therapy may help reduce symptoms related to neurological diseases, such as Parkinson's disease. Though human studies are limited on this. Okay, fair enough. Pain. One study showed that bee venom acupuncture, along with traditional medication, significantly reduces pain. I think it's distracting the pain. That's why, right? I got pain in my nerve or my muscle. Now I got, now I got uh, a bee stung me. My mind is now thinking about the... No, but it's saying the venom, not the sting itself. So uh, it says it's, it helps reduce pain. And it may fight Lyme disease. Okay. This website, they put all kinds of evidence. You, how do you guys know? Oh, you're a doctor. That's why. And you're a medical student. So Healthline is it includes Daif Hadith essentially. Okay, so that's what he's saying. Plus, it includes Daif and. A, Tell me something. Who, who, which website do you go so to for knowledge? If I look, if I look, it'd be good to get a meta-analysis from Google Scholar. PubMed is the official thing. That's things that have been rigorously tested in controlled environments. Yeah. So PubMed is quite good. PubMed is PubMed is for everybody to study. They, uh, website for everyone. They, they won't be able to understand it. If they yeah. Understand it what about the for the regular folk like oh, ourselves? I think Hmm. They won't sell you anything that's not legit. So acupuncture, like when I skip, if we've got patients so of these, you know, yeah. pains and stuff, acupuncture is in our guidelines in England now. It's acupuncture is a is a person. We can't actually give it, but we can recommend them to go private, and it's actually like shapes plastics because they've seen that people are doing it. And yeah. Helping them. So that is evidence in and of itself. What about? Um, what about uh, insurance? Will will the government won't cover the acupuncture though? But you yeah. allow you to recommend it. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Like That's good. Very good. Oh, what is it? Oh, AI has done that. No, AI. It's, it's human. People do it. Okay. So for PubMed, first of all, it's a it's a public website, right? That's why it's it's yeah. published medical journals. But I don't need to sign in, right? Uh, you'll at least get the abstract. You yeah, that's all I need. The abstract. Yeah, I need the the sixty second. Yeah, you don't need the, yeah. Um, just give me the fatwa. I don't need the, all the dadilla, right? It's not quite secret. Okay, good. <laughs> it's not quite there. Good. Let's take this question before because it pertains to salah. Sony's asking: Is silent prayer? Can I do it aloud if I'm alone to concentrate? And the answer is no, but silent me, the, the threshold, silence and aloudness, they do meet each other at one threshold, which is that you can hear yourself. So the loudest of silent salah is that you can hear yourself. The least, wait, the most of silent salah is you can hear yourself. The least of out loud salah is you can hear yourself. So the ceiling of silent and the floor 
of allowed meet at the threshold of you hearing yourself. So if your neighbor can hear you or someone next to you can hear you, then you're not silent anymore. You're allowed. So just to answer that question before we start closing off and getting to other subjects. Now, 3.11, we have to close off, folks. Um, Sheikh, what did you mean when you said Sufis have innovations? Don't consider yourself mutasawwif. Yes, but the, yeah, the Sufis do have innovations. I'm sure you can find them in their circles. Innovations develop. There's no doubt about that. Sheikh Asrar has a nice video on that. Um, we shouldn't shy off and say that innovations have entered uh, uh, Sufia, right? That we'd be lying to ourselves. Innovations now, some of the innovations, we will fight for them because they are innovations that have a basis in the religion and have many fatawa behind them and are considered recommended or necessary, such as in Morocco, the group recitation of the Quran after Fajr and Maghrib. Any group, Majlis Lidhikrillah, scheduled on time, that was an innovation that is, has a basis, right? The, the, uh, the, the basis of the Prophet's own actions. After Salah, he taught the Sahaba by saying the Athkar out loud. Everyone said the Athkar out loud. It's in Bukhari, in two narrations, one after the other, from Ibn Abbas. So those things, we will fight for them. Other innovations, we'll stay silent about them because it could go either way and other innovations they clearly contradict the sharia or they jam off the sunnah and there we f- we would fight against them okay any innovation that is a clear contradiction to the sunnah of the prophet that's how a shafi defined al bidah okay and that's what we go by so uh, we shouldn't try to sugar everything up and say yes everything is acceptable no Excessive bid'ah makes religion uh, almost unbearable. There's too much going on here. Yes. Yeah. How can we, first of all, to non-Muslims, and secondly, introduce new Muslims to tasawwuf, given its negative stereotypes due to the Najdi dawah? So the first one is introducing someone to tasawwuf? Uh, the first one is how can you give dawah to non-Muslims? Give dawah to non-Muslims. I think the best dawah to non-Muslims is, is demonstration. And we as Muslims, and, and demonstration that this is a, w- a better li- way of living. And I, I firmly believe in the places like England, like America, okay, like Australia, Canada, these Western nations where that have gone so, so far astray, Belgium, all, so far astray in sexuality, in family destruction, they're so far off. We're going to see in 10 years two different worlds. And I really am curious on the measure of the emotional stability of the kids who come out of one versus the other. Like the kids who come out of societies or communities where everyone's got a mom and dad. Pretty much everyone knows who their mom and dad is. And you live in a pretty predictable way in terms of your sexuality. Right? Things are there's a track made for you versus the kids who are going to come out of the, the, the current LGB climate where all the stuff is up for grabs. No answers are given. Everything that's done is not proven. Right. Recently they just had a kid die when they tried to do a trans operation for him. 18 year old kid. The stuff is not proven. It's not tested. Let's just see in 15 years, maybe less just 10 years. 
let's look at the emotional, mental stability of both sides. People will see for themselves what the truth is. And on top of that, let's go to this side of all those who are, uh, uh, that are family-based. Who, who succeeded in preserving their mosques, churches, or synagogues from this invasion? Right, of deviation, sexual deviation, and deviance. Because I'm, I, they're, they're, every day in the news, there's a new march by Muslims, and people are just breathing a sigh of relief. Non-Muslims are, finally, someone stood up. They, they know how to stand up to it. Demonstration, to me, is the best. But, of course, that's a macro-level demonstration. With non-Muslims, the best is the immediate, micro-level. As a friend, what kind of friend are you? When you guys get together, you don't backbite. When you guys, what, what are your gatherings like? A gathering of a group of guys. Are people generally friendly? Generally backbite? Generally don't backbite? Generally don't make fun of how you people look? That would be haram for us, right? That's the micro level demonstration of this is what Islam has produced. Guys like this. Like women like this. Where certain things we're never going to talk about. We're not going to talk about girls. We're not going to be talking about um, you know the other people. What's that? Vulgar. We're not going to talk about vulgar things, right? People are generally welcoming. Generally have manners. People pitch in to pay. They share their food. Fight to pay, fight to pay right? <laughs> uh, fights to pay, all right. They share their food. That's the micro demonstration. Now, as for the other question that you said, it's the question of. Uh, don't have to introduce someone to tasawwuf and say, come and be a Sufi and, and learn tasawwuf. What is tasawwuf? It's many different ways to draw near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's part of tasawwuf. That's not the official definition or anything. But So you introduce them to those things, tahajjud, siyam, dhikr. Most importantly, adhkar. That's the most important thing, dhikr. The practices. We're not looking for someone to say, okay, I've, I've converted and I believe in Tisof. Who cares about that? It's a word. It's a name. The madmoon is what matters. So you say, so you start introducing them to things such as there's something here called dhikr. If you do this, you're going to relax yourself. Look what the Prophet said about it. Do it on your own, with a misbaha, without a misbaha. And once they benefit from that, then that's really what you want, right? That's your goal. All right, folks. Jazakumullah khairan. Nice uh, stream to start the week. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk wal asr inna al-insana lafi khusr illa alladhina amanu wa amilu salihat wa tawasaw bil-haq wa tawasaw bil-sabr wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Oh, baby.